0: though it was just an ordinary car accident a white pickup truck hit the girl who was riding a bicycle on her way home he attacked the girl and locked her in the car to commit depraved acts the girl fought back fiercely before pretending to be beaten to death by spraying pepper spray in the eyes of the attacker stealing a knife and stabbing him several times when he thought she was dead he took her to the edge of the forest here She jumped up and stabbed the attacker again. But a bad outcome happened. Semi-automatic and shots rang out into the night. Welcome back to our channel. Today we will come to the case that seems to only happen in the movies. Michaela Shunick's case is one of the mysterious and creepy cases that happened in Lafayette, Louisiana, USA in 2012. It took more than one month to find her dead body in a forest. What motive led to the killer's callous actions? Is there a mystery behind it, or is it just the killer's bizarre hobby? The Michaela Shuneck case has shocked the community and is one of the most famous cases in Louisiana over the years. This case has also raised some questions about the legal system and protecting people from criminals. Take a deep breath and join us through the door of darkness to unravel the tragic case of the beautiful schoolgirl Michaela Shune. Welcome to Louisiana. Concerning the subject of culture, because it is home to a large number of African, French, French-Canadian, and modern American families, Louisiana is considered one of the most varied states in the United States. This melting pot of diverse cultures has had a profound impact on the cuisine, celebrations, architecture, and pretty much every other aspect of the state's life. In Louisiana, there are just over 2 million American alligators wandering the state, which means that there are approximately half as many alligators as there are people in Louisiana. This is a fun fact, but it's also true. Do not, then, Make the mistake of entering those wetlands on a hot summer day. Lafayette is the name of a quaint little city that may be found in the deep south, closer to the shore. Since it was first established in 1820, Lafayette has gone from having a population of 498 to having 121,000 citizens. After being founded and settled for agricultural purposes, Lafayette eventually evolved into a logistical hub for the oil and natural gas sectors. In addition, it has managed to stay current with technological advancements, becoming an important center for the health care, aerospace, banking, and retail industries. Because of this, the University of Lafayette was able to be established, which in turn has had a positive effect on the economy of the state to the tune of 11 billion dollars. Michaela Shunick was a student at the University of Lafayette in 2012, and she was one of the people studying there. Michaela, better known to her family and close friends as Mickey, had just turned 21 years old at the time. On May 20th, 1990, she entered the world as the daughter of Tom Shunick and Nancy Rowe, her parents. She also had an older sister named Charlene and a younger brother named Zach. Mickey was in her final year of college, majoring in anthropology, and she still maintained her residence at home with her family. In addition, she spent her spare time instructing younger youngsters in the art of horseback riding. Michaela loved riding bikes, and despite the fact that she owned a car, She almost always chose to travel around the city on two wheels instead. And because her house was only 7 kilometers, 11 miles, from the institution, she frequently rode her bike there for classes. Michaela placed a high value on her relationships with both her family and her friends. Because she had spent her entire childhood in the same location, She had maintained the same group of close friends since she was in kindergarten. When May of 2012 rolled around, summer was just around the bend, and in addition to the wonderful days that were to come, there were also going to be objectively good days. Miki, who was a senior at the time, was very close to finishing off her education at the university. And with that out of the way, She was prepared to face the challenges of adulthood and take on the world. In addition, her birthday was only a few days away, which meant that she would soon turn 22 years old. Her brother Zach was also going to graduate in the next few days, which was something that Kayla wouldn't miss for the world and which added to the overall prosperity of the family. As a result of this, Michaela's family had an early realization that something was wrong on May 19, 2012. 2012 will mark the 18th of May. It was a Friday, and like to many other students, Mickey understood this to indicate that he would be going out for the evening. Because the graduation ceremony for her brother was scheduled for the following day, she did not intend to remain gone for an excessively long time. Following their get-together with a number of their mutual friends, Michaela and another mutual friend, Bretley, went their separate ways from the rest of the group. After having a few beers at Atmosphere Bar, they then placed an order for dinner at a Taco Bell that was located nearby before making their way back to Bretley's residence, which is located on Ryan Street. Michaela decided to come back home in order to get some rest before her brother's big day after the two of them had spent a couple of hours hanging out at his place. Bradley's home was only four miles down the road from where she lived on Rhine Street, and because she didn't have any plans to travel very far from there, she opted to cycle back instead of calling a cab. Bradley's home was located on Rhine Street. She didn't have to travel too far and the communities in between were reasonably secure. On Saturday, the 19th of May, at 1.45 in the morning, after leaving Bradley's house, Michaela walked down Congress Street in a southwesterly direction. But there is nothing more after that. Lafayette, and more especially the Shunick family, awoke to a whole new Saturday morning as the brightness gradually eroded away the darkness that had been present during the previous night. On the other hand, even as they did so, neither Michaela nor her bike could be located anywhere. Her bedroom was empty. She had not returned from wherever she had been the previous evening. The family was worried about Michaela, but Zach's graduation ceremony was scheduled for the early afternoon so their attention was diverted elsewhere. They were left with no other option but to move forward with the plans. It's possible that she spent the previous night at the home of a friend instead of her own. Or perhaps she had gotten an early start on the day to complete a few tasks before the event. The family asked her to meet them at the event through a text message that she received. However, Michaela did not show up at any point. This was not consistent with her typical manner of acting. She did, of course, like to go out and have fun with her friends. Nevertheless, she was very good when it came to personal discipline, time management, and organization, and she most definitely would not have missed Zach's ceremony if she could have helped it. As soon as the event came to a close, Michaela's loved ones made a beeline towards the house to check on her and see if she had returned. However, after shouting out her name, there was an eerie silence that emanated from the four walls of the house. The entire day, concerns about Mykilla's safety had been rising, and her initial quiet had been aggravating at first, and then completely intolerable by the end of the day. But at this point, her parents had not seen or heard from her for the better part of a day, and they suspected that something was wrong. So come five o'clock. They made a report to the authorities that their daughter had gone missing. Following the information that she'd seen her pals the night before, the officers began interviewing everyone who was there. This finally led to an interview with Brett as it was determined that she'd seen her friends. The officers took the concerns of her parents extremely seriously. The tale that Brett told checked out. And there was no cause to suspect that he was up to no good. He told the investigators that she left his residence at roughly 14.45 earlier that morning, which was of significant concern to Michaela's family because it suggested that she hadn't vanished with a friend earlier that morning. Instead, she had vanished into the night without a trace. Something unfavorable had transpired with her. In the wee hours of the morning, I and Mickey ran off in the direction of my house, so I offered to grab her some food at the Taco Bell that was nearby, and then I brought her back. She consumed it. At that time, we received two phone calls from friends who were concerned about us, wanted to know where we were, and mentioned that they were going to go have supper somewhere else. However, at that point, Mickey came to the conclusion that she was still too exhausted she had obtained some nourishment, and as a result, she desired to return home. At that point, she had spent the previous night out on the town. There was nothing in her possession to be drunk. To the best of my knowledge, she appeared to be pretty weary, as well as a little queasy from the previous night. I'm sorry, but I didn't notice her consuming anything. I don't think she had anything to drink at all. You know, Mickey has done this each and every time we've ever gone out and she's ridden her bike anywhere, and it's really annoying. The performance was a little further away from her house than it was from mine, but she still rode her bike there. She would ride her bike anywhere she needed to go, regardless of the time of day. This was nothing out of the ordinary for her. Those who were close to Michaela the following day woke up filled with dread and anxiety because she had not been discovered. Michaela had been missing since the previous evening. Posters of missing persons were distributed all throughout the city as her name began to be talked more frequently among the city of Lafayette's different language groups. In point of fact, Approximately 2,000 people from the neighborhood rallied behind Michaela's family to lend their support in their search for Michaela. And despite the fact that a search operation to find Mickey had already gained steam, the police officers involved would have to wait until the following day, which was Monday, before they could examine all of the surveillance footage that was available. It just so happened that Michaela's birthday was on the same day. The inquiry started with an estimate of her most likely route home, and from there, they broadened out their efforts to identify and obtain film from all surveillance cameras. And it didn't take the officers very long at all to locate just what it was that they were looking for. Michaela's journey back home on Sailors Boulevard was captured on tape around 1.45 in the morning by a surveillance camera. She was seen hiding behind a white vehicle, and then two minutes later, Michaela was seen riding her bike on Nasty. Perrick's day by a camera once again. The street is named Landry. She was still traveling in the direction of home, but after the surveillance image, Michaela's digital trail ended, the officers didn't have much to go on. She was still heading in the direction of home. Even though there were more than 100 cameras in the neighborhood, the majority of them were merely used to monitor traffic. As a direct consequence of this, just two of these cameras managed to capture Michaela. However, people who investigated these video files were quick to draw attention to a few elements that were pretty strange. In the clip taken from the surveillance cameras around 1.45 in the morning, on Rhine Street, only two minutes later, Michaela could be seen following closely behind this white vehicle. At first, there was no indication that this truck even existed. She was by herself up until a few seconds later, when she turned around and saw the same truck heading in the same way, but this time it was following her. And not even two minutes later, The exact same white pickup vehicle was caught on tape moving in the opposite direction by the same camera. Despite the peculiarity of the situation, the cops still had no idea who the owner of this pickup truck actually was. The resolution of none of the cameras was sufficient to allow for the identification of the license plate, and at the time of her abduction, There were more than 3,000 white Chevrolet pickup vehicles registered in the state of Louisiana alone. And that doesn't even take into account the states that are nearby. To tell you the truth, they didn't know for certain if this truck had anything to do with Michaela being missing in the first place. Consequently, in light of this information, they would have little choice but to wait for further hints. Michaela's disappearance would continue to haunt the people of Lafayette for the following few days, despite the fact that no new discoveries or leads were found during that time. The first piece of major evidence about Michaela's disappearance was found on May 27, exactly eight days after she went missing. Two fishermen were fishing in the Whiskey Bay River when they came across a disturbing find. This finding was made 25 miles east of the last known location. They found a dark and heavy metallic object immediately underneath a bridge on Interstate 10, which was something that definitely didn't belong in the river. They were able to tell this by the fact that it didn't float. When they finally got it out of the water and onto their boat, they saw that it was a bicycle. And after they reported their find to the authorities, it was determined that the item belonged to Michaela Shune. After being left in the swamp for some time, the bicycle emerged with a thick layer of muck all over it, and the rear tire was severely deformed and broken. This kind of damage made it appear as though a car had struck the motorcycle from behind. With this new piece of information, The detectives in the city of Lafayette were filled with a great deal of fear that the next thing they would find in one of these rivers would be Michaela's body. Despite this, after several days of searching, no new evidence was discovered, which, in and of itself, was cause for concern. However, the fact that there was still a chance that she was alive was a positive development. A few days later, another significant piece of the puzzle fell into place. Someone who knew them had called in to report that someone else they knew was acting exceedingly confused and suspicious because Michaela had vanished without a trace. In addition to this, another person vanished over the same weekend that Michaela did, which brings us to our next point. And when he got back to his house, he saw that he had many stab wounds all over his body. Brandon Scott Laverne was the man's name, and he was 33 years old at the time the events took place. He was a native of Louisiana, known as a Cajun, and received his degree in 1998. In addition, he had served for three years in the military, but he was now employed as a mechanic on an oil rig that was located offshore. The information was provided by Brandon's soon-to-be father-in-law, who began to have doubts about Brandon after the latter stated that he was in New Orleans at the time that he was supposedly wounded during a robbery. However, his account did not make any sense. He did not have any contacts in the New Orleans area. A second piece of information was sent not long after the first one, and this time it came from a nearby automobile dealership. They said that Brandon came in following the weekend that Michaela went missing to beg for a new white pickup vehicle. This is because, according to them, his previous drop, which was the same model and color just days before, had been stolen. The salesman made the link and observed that Brandon became angry when, by complete and utter chance, Michaela's face appeared on the television directly above him. Investigators were very interested in learning more about Brand and since there were so many troubling circumstances surrounding him at the time. What they discovered was actually rather stunning to them when they looked into it more. In spite of the fact that he was engaged, Brandon had a number of girlfriends spread out over the state. In addition to this, he had a severe addiction to using escort services. It has been established that Brandon is dishonest. However, the following piece of information is even more unsettling. Unfortunately, Brandon was a registered sex offender, and he was sentenced to eight years in jail in the year 2000 after being found guilty of a sexual offense. The officers made the decision to investigate Brandon's account of being robbed during the weekend that Michaela was reported missing. And when they questioned the proprietor of the gas station where the purported robbery took place, they discovered that it was all a fabrication. He was never present at any time. After that, they came to the conclusion that they would look into the story of his stolen truck. Brandon asserted that his truck had been taken while he was in Texas a few days earlier, and he was in Texas at the time. As a result, the police responded by contacting the local sheriff's office to inquire about the location of the stolen vehicle. They were taken aback when they were informed that Brandon's truck had, in fact, been discovered. It was found in a field that had been completely destroyed by the fire. The fire was so intense that it completely consumed practically everything that was contained inside it. The investigators did not take well to this information. DNA evidence no longer allowed them to make the connection between Brandon's truck and Michaela's death. The license plate of the truck, however, allowed them to make a positive identification of the vehicle. Officers did another sweep of the area's video cameras after they had Brandon's license plate in their possession. The results of this sweep, Piqued their curiosity for a number of reasons. Roughly 5:15 o'clock in the evening, A surveillance camera in the neighborhood filmed Brandon's truck that evening, not long before Michaela went missing, and it was in the general vicinity. Not only did it record his license plate, but it also recorded the things that were in the back of his truck. This reveals a post measuring 4x4 as well as a cooler box. And to our surprise, the 4x4 and the cooler box were still visible when we superimposed this image over the CCDV footage of Michaela riding her bike home. The investigators found out that Brandon had put himself into a neighboring hospital not even one day after Michaela went missing, which added yet another piece of troubling evidence to the increasing pile of suspicious clues. These were obviously connected to the strange stab wounds he had sustained. The police eventually reached the conclusion that they had sufficient evidence to prove that Brandon was to blame for Mickey's disappearance. However, there was no trace of Michaela or a body, so there was a clear risk involved in arresting him nonetheless. Officers believed that they had no choice but to take action in order to move this investigation forward because they were not receiving any new evidence or leads. Mickey had been missing for 17 days when he was taken into custody on July 5, during a routine traffic stop. Because Brandon had failed to register as a sexual offender in the year 2000, they had the legal right to proceed in this manner. Even his fiancée was in the dark about it. They didn't waste any time in asking him about Michaela, during which he refused to answer any questions and instead sought an attorney to represent him. A grand jury did finally decide to bring charges against Brandon Luverne for first-degree murder as well as aggravated kidnapping. However, this was not a simple task. And they would have to rely on circumstantial evidence given that Michaela's body had not been located. That is, up until August 7, 2012. That information was provided by a TV station in Lafayette. The remains of a human being have been found by the police, and the report suggests that the body may be that of Mickey Shune. In May, the young man, who was 21 at the time, vanished from Lafayette. KLFY is reporting that a body was discovered today in Evangeline Parish, and police are on the scene at an undisclosed location conducting a search that is relevant to the Shunick case. While officials in that community have not made any remarks about this discovery, KLFY is reporting that officials in that community have not made any announcements about this discovery. Brandon Scott Laverney, 33 years old at the time, was taken into custody by the police in July and charged with Shunich's murder. He has entered a not guilty plea to the accusations, despite the fact that the corpse has not been located. Our newsroom will provide you with further details as they become available. An anonymous person provided the information that led to the discovery of a body that had been missing for a total of 80 days in the Anne van der Parish. The body was found next to in a paved road. After following the lead provided, the officers came across Michaela's body when they arrived at their destination. She had been buried close to a little cemetery, and her personal jewelry and clothing were discovered buried with her. Along with their discovery came the unavoidable realization that Michaela would never again visit her family in their hometown. In spite of the fact that, Up until this point in time, it seemed unlikely that Mickey would be located alive and well. There was at least a shred of optimism that he could be. Unfortunately, the result was cruel and harsh. She had suffered many stab wounds, and then a gunshot was fired directly into her head. And with that, the long journey of destruction and healing had finally begun. After taking Brandon into jail and finding Michaela's death, all that remained for the investigators to do was establish a link between their suspect and their victim. However, that was proving to be challenging. To move things along more quickly, they asked Michaela's family for permission to negotiate a deal with Brandon. This allowed them to get the ball rolling sooner. Because the state of Louisiana has adopted the death penalty, Brandon would be fighting for his life through the court system. And the cops were aware that this made him extremely nervous. They proposed a deal in which the defendant would admit to killing Michaela in exchange for avoiding the death penalty. And what the police got back in return was a significant amount more than they had anticipated receiving. Brandon came clean, and acknowledged having killed Michaela Shune. Worse, he confessed to the death of another young woman in 1999, just one year prior to the dismissal of the charges that had led to his earlier conviction in July 1999. Unfortunately, because Lisa Pate's body was in such bad condition at the time of its discovery in October 1999, it was not possible to ascertain who had killed her or the manner in which she had been slain. Lisa Pate was a mother of two children. Regarding Michaela's story, it was revealed that she bravely battled for her life while she was in danger. I'm not sure, but I don't think I've ever heard of a victim fighting back quite like this before in any of the cases that I've covered on this channel. When Brandon went up to Mickey at 1.46 o'clock in the morning on May 19th, 2012, it wasn't hard to figure out what he wanted. After following her around in his truck, he slammed the back of her bike, causing the back tire or to be destroyed as Mickey plummeted to the ground. This was the culmination of his stalking of her. Michaela snatched her mace, waited for the moment, and then sprayed it in Brandon's face just as the opportunity presented itself. This happened before Brandon even had a chance to reach her. Permit me to emphasize how much of a difference there is between these two in terms of size. Miki weighed only 115 pounds, or 52 kilograms, at his peak, whereas Brandon personally weighed in excess of 230 pounds, or 105 kilograms he was more than twice as heavy as she was. In any case, Mickey was successful in stealing the knife from Brandon and then using it to stab Brandon multiple times across the arms and hands. Sadly, Brandon was able to take back control of the situation. He was successful in stabbing Michaela multiple times, which led to her being immobile as a result of his actions. After that, Brandon transported Michaela's lifeless body to a remote location 14 minutes away, where he intended to dispose of it. However, Michaela abruptly regained consciousness and fought against Brandon's plans. She surged forward towards Brandon with the knife, stabbing him multiple times in the back and chest as she did so. Unfortunately, Brandon was armed with a handgun, He took vengeance by shooting Michaela in the head as a form of retaliation. She passed away in an instant. You, Brandon asserted that everything that occurred was really a coincidence. It appears that he was intoxicated while he was behind the wheel and struck her by accident. And according to him, things got much worse when she hit him in the face with the mace. But considering his background, It is quite likely that this account was made up. As soon as I looked up, she was standing there in the middle of my grill. When I hit her, I slammed on my brakes, and because I was dragging things behind me, I was really concerned. I was found guilty of a felony offense and had a firearm in the vehicle. And I was like, man, I said I wasn't too worried about her hitting her, and now here I am saying that I was wrong. My primary concern was whether or not people would refer to me as that gun. After some back and forth, we got into an argument, and it made me really angry. And I guess that was when she started becoming spooked. And I guess that was when she started getting scared. And at that moment, I gasped, which prompted me to reach for the knife. And I yelled at her not to call the police before grabbing it. She had reached down to grab the phone. I responded by telling him, I'm not playing with you, mister. Put the phone down, and now she's kind of staring at me like she's been doing that for a while. I started stabbing her, and I'm probably stabbed, I'm guessing maybe four or five times, and I caught myself, and I say I said, I was like, dude, what happened? I caught myself, and I said, man, what happened? She suddenly appeared behind me and stabbed me in the chest. I let out a loud shout. I gave the gun one go with the shot. After leaping from the truck, I continued. I was having a good time. The court heard Brandon's confession, and that is what actually took place. As a direct consequence of him being found guilty of the murders of Mickey Shank and Lisa Sipay. He was sentenced to two consecutive terms of life in prison without the chance of release for each of those terms. When it comes to situations like this, there is a lot of emotion to experience. The more I look into the situation and do research, the stronger my feelings of sympathy and connection with the victim get. And the more angry I become about the way the story was told in Mickey's situation the more pleased I am of how hard she fought back and how quickly she did it. From what I understand, she was a fierce competitor in anything she did. Michaela was a young woman who was not only courageous and valiant, but also kind and caring. She possessed all of these qualities in equal measure. In addition, when she first started her life as an adult, She was prepared to put her education in the past and launch into her own independent existence. Her relatives and friends remember her as a kind and upbeat spirit, and she is remembered as someone who had no adversaries. And this is the most difficult part. It is memory rather than the sense of the present moment. After Michaela passed away, a memorial was erected in her honor at the location of her final resting place. The spectral bicycle of Michaela Shune which appeared in the spot where Brandon had assaulted her in the past. The family of Michaela has established a website in her memory with the dual purpose of bringing attention to sexual offenders who are registered in the local area. And the purpose of her Facebook page which has reached the point where it has more than 30,000 followers is to bring attention to those members of the public who are still unaccounted for at this time. It's been over 10 years since Michaela passed away, and it's difficult to picture where she would be right now. She would be 31 years old, well-established in her professional life, possibly married, and possibly even having children at this point. And as for Brandon, The nine years that have passed since we last saw him have not changed a single thing about how he spends his days. While he is being put to death in prison, he will spend the rest of his life stuck in an endless cycle of boredom. It appears that Brandon has an account with the prisoner as well. Therefore, if you really want to send him a message telling him what a horrible person he is, you are allowed to do so. Brandon claims that he is the only person in all of the United States who has been given a sentence of life in solitary confinement. But to tell you the truth, who gives a damn about how he feels? Oh, yeah. In addition to that, he has the nerve to claim that the majority of what you will read about me online is a lie. Today's investigation has now concluded, so that's all for now, folks. I want to express my gratitude for your time and attention today. If you found this topic interesting or learned something new, please give the story a thumbs up and sign up for the newsletter. Have you had a chance to read about the case of Michaela Shunet? If so, what were your thoughts? Please share your ideas in the comments section below. This narrative is both tragic and deeply moving. That's all I have for you right now, but I'll be back soon with more. In the meantime, let's remember to take care of one another. Goodbye for now.